0: The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.
1: Final game of Prep Bowl underway at U.S. Bank Stadium. A dandy in the 5A. Perennial Power Mankato West against Elk River. And Elk River goes 93 yards to get the go ahead score in quarter number two. Elk River. Uh, leading man, Kato West, 14-7 in the finale earlier. Final play of the game, New London Spice, her beat Dilworth Glendon Felton, 27-26 to win 3A. And in the first game of the day, Mountain Iron Buell down 19-0 after one. Roar back beat Spring Grove, 28-25. And then on Friday, here are the results. Uh, From Prep Bowl at U.S. Bank Stadium, Miniota, another title, beat Springfield 38-21 in 1A. In 2A, Barnesville beat Chadfield 35-20. And then uh, terrific 4A championship game, Simley beat Hutchinson 34-24. I saw Simley beat Ricori in the quarterfinals, game I called on NSPN.TV a couple of weeks back. Simley wins their first football title. And then uh, our first uh, title uh, in a while, uh, Simley, uh, beating Hutchinson 34-24. And then Maple Grove, the runner-up a year ago, uh, come back, beat Rosemont 27-10 in the 6A championship. And uh, longtime head coach at Maple Grove, Matt Lombardi, joins us. First of all, uh, congrats to you in the Crimson.
2: Hey, thanks, Steven. It's, 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 it's about time. And I think it's really exciting for our community. So I'm really proud of our kids.
1: Yeah. And, uh, we, we talked real early, uh, at the beginning of this season about the year you had a year ago and you felt pretty good about this group going into the 22 season.
2: Yeah, uh, we, we were fortunate this year. We had 46 seniors on this team and, and they were great leaders all the way through. And then we had a few young sophomores come in and fill in and some juniors, but, um, our senior class really carried us this year, and, and yeah, there was eight or nine kids out there yesterday that were able to play during the prep bowl um, the year before, and I think that helped. And so, yeah, we felt good with our kids coming back, and they um, they just kept getting better and better every week. So you you play Lakeville
1: South in the semifinals, take care of business, and then beat uh, a very good, well-coached Rosemont team uh, for the championship. So it was not easy. To win this state title it was it was a tough road
2: no we had a tough road and um actually eastridge was playing really well we played them in the quarterfinals They beat prior lake coming into our game and, and they gave us a tough paddle and and so um no i was proud we came through some good teams and obviously lakeville south they they're a wonderful program that had state championship um uh, they knew how to win there and then you have rosemont that was beating the good teams all year and came in undefeated and they had big bodies that we had to contend with so so yeah, I was proud of our kids we had a we had a tough road but I but we were confident in each game any concern after being down
1: one quarter 3-0
2: no, because we had the ball. Still, so we only had the ball three plays, and and we kind of just got back to what we thought we could do. We were able to run the ball, I think, better than people thought we'd be able to, and 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 that helped a lot because we we hurt them with play action. Um, and we thought we could do that. We 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 thought there were some gaps available in the run game, and we took advantage of them. And I thought our tailback Jordan Lockwood did a nice job, and and that allowed then Jacob Kilzer and Jacob Anderson to make the big plays that we needed. So. Um, not, we felt good actually coming in offensively and thought we could move the ball, so we weren't too concerned at 3 0.
1: And then really cranked it up defensively. Uh, wow. Uh, re- really shut down the Irish in the
2: second half. Yeah, the RD did a great job, really, both weeks. I mean, they they held close out to seven. And then held Rosemont to ten, and really the ten points was because we we kind of had a um, unforced fumble on the twenty where we just we fumbled the handoff and and put them in a short field. So if we wouldn't have done that, they probably could have given up three. So I was really proud of our defense because, like I said, we only had one kid or two kids out there that had even sniffed the state championship. So that was where a lot of our new kids were, and they really stepped up week in and week out. It was pretty fun to watch.
1: Tanner Albeck, Henry Stang stand out. I saw your team play on the road at Wayzata, and the Trojans had your team on the ropes early in that game. And the, the comeback I felt in that game uh, during the regular season was was led by the defense. Ultimately, they, they kind of gave your your team a wake up call, if you will.
2: Absolutely, that and I kind of it's funny you bring that game up. I think that game was the turning point of our year. I thought. Um, we were down 14 nothing, and really had our, we, we got it handed to us in the first half. It wasn't even like we were, it should have been worse. And we kind of somehow kept it to 14-7 in the second half. We just ran the ball and the defense played well. And we got it back to 28-14, kind of scored 28 points in a row. And I felt like after that game, it, it kind of sparked our team. It kind of went, okay, we can't just show up and in play, and it kind of changed their preparation and all that. So I I really do think our team changed significantly after that Wizzetta game.
1: Yeah, and uh, a run to a state championship. Did did this group go into it? And we we did touch on this a little bit uh, very early in the season, uh, but before before we really got going, uh, the the weather was a whole lot warmer. Uh, Funny. (laughs) Uh, But that – they they went into it because there were so many seniors where it was unfinished business. You know, there's an opportunity for us to to go out and 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 get it done. Was was that the theme this year for Maple Grove?
2: Yeah, I think it was a goal coming in. I think they worked really hard in the off season. We kind of went to a theme that was our time is now, and it kind of was it was a double message. I think the our time is now kind of thing was um, yeah, this is the year we can win it. But it really was okay. We can't really worry about that right now. We just got to worry about each day that we're out here and keep getting better and do everything at every moment matters type thing. And the kids really bought into it, but yeah, I think they were, they were a group in the back of their mind, thought, you know, this is something we can do. And if we come together and we sacrifice for each other, we can do something great that the schools never seen. And I think that was a goal of those. And I think they're going to leave as seniors as playing 26 games, which is the most you can play and to come home with the first state title ever for Maple Grove. That's a pretty special accomplishment.
1: Yeah, and what 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 a great showing last night. The fan base for Rosemont and Maple Grove, it, it was pretty cool at U.S. Bank Stadium last night.
2: Oh, the atmosphere was awesome. I I really I think they kind of shut off the ticket sales by the end. There were people that couldn't get any because I know I know they don't let any fans down in that end zone area. And I think they filled it. I think it was um, I think both sides. I you know Rosemont sold a ton, and we sold a ton. We've always had great following, and and. And like I said, it was neat. We won the game and we kind of had an escort through all of Maple Grove with uh, the SWAT team and cops and people were honking their horns. And nice. and so it, it we really worked hard to make this into a community type thing. And, and I'm really proud of that. And so when. When you look out there and there's a bunch of parents of alumni and alumni and 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 people throughout the community coming to the game not just the parents of the kids and the it's really fun to see so um yeah it was very rewarding in that way to see how filled it was and so much fun for those kids out there playing
1: and and matt you know congrats to you but all the coaches you work with, the, you know, the, the kids, their families, the entire community. I mean, you, you can really point to, you know, what you've built there is an excitement for football. And it, it's all about getting the young kids excited and getting them into the system, playing youth football, and then ultimately at middle school. And then the idea that someday they'll, they'll, they'll wear that crimson uniform
2: yeah I mean, one of the first things we did when i got the job here was we we created our own youth football league and, and so we have a maple grove youth football from second through um our, we consider ourselves a family from second through 12th grade and i think that's really helped i think um there's a lot of excitement for kids and parents and we're trying to make them feel belonging and things like that and it's worked really well and and it's a great community, and so being there is a great benefit. We try to take advantage of it, and the, and the parents and the kids are really excited about it. So, yeah, I really appreciate that. And my coaching staff, they had an unbelievable year. I have a defense coordinator, Adams Pearl. He works incredibly hard, and and it, it, it's been a rewarding year just to see kind of how it all came together. So, yes, I appreciate you saying that because it has been fun to watch.
1: Well, uh- Matt, always good to visit with you. Congrats to Maple Grove and all the state champions. One to go, Elk River and Mankato West in that uh, 5A championship game late in quarter number two. And really the high school league and prep bowl. I know there's a lot of talk about the boys hockey tournament, uh, understandably, and some some of the other state tournaments, but pr- prep bowl is great stuff. And, uh, and I'm so glad we're re- returning to normal and a- able to have – prep bowl and the fans come into u.s bank stadium it it's a big deal for the kids to be able to play where the vikings play
2: oh it's unbelievable And just walking in there and you just tell the kids and the excitement and with the fans and in in making those semi-final games where you get to the prep bowl is such yeah. an accomplishment because it is so exciting for those kids kind of like it is the, the hockey players going to the excel center and things like that but you're right having it back to normalcy um and you, like i said you're at that 6a game and that place was filled that lower bowl was. And, and just people were excited every play, and it was had a great atmosphere, and uh, there's nothing like it. So I, I feel very fortunate to have been in a few of those, and like I said, the the, the better we keep making it, the better it's going to be, but, man, it's fun to be in it.
1: Yeah, and outstanding coverage by Channel 45 uh, as well. Well, Matt, once again, congrats to you and Maple Grove on a title. Hey,
2: thanks, Steve, for having us on. I really appreciate it.
1: There he is, Matt Lombardi, Maple Grove head football coach. Elk River leading Mankato West 14-7 in that 5-8 title game. Three to go in the second, but Mankato West knocking on the door. Fourth in goal, trying to get what would be a tying score in that one. Quick break, we'll come back. D3 football. The semifinals are set. Bethel came so close to pulling off the upset down at Mary Harden Baylor. Uh, Pat Coleman joins us in a moment. A little bit later on, we'll heat up the hot stove. Dan Hayes covers the Twins for the Athletic. Uh, We've we've got some news there as well on the Twins front. Uh, The uh, Minnesota Twins get back with Twins Fest the end of January. Spring training schedule set. Uh, We we know we're going to start hearing some spring training games on the radio end of February. Uh, Certainly a sign of spring
3: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: There was just one Upper Midwest team remaining in the D2 and D3 football playoffs. That was Bethel out of the MIAC. They had the trip down to Texas to take on Mary Harden Baylor. And it looked good. Royals led 7-0 after one, tied at 14 at the half. And then after three, led at 21-17 to 17. And then Mary Harden Baylor roared back for the 41 28 victory. Fine year for the Bethel Royals. And Pat Coleman joins us from d3football.com. And boy, oh, there was an upset brewing, and I thought maybe the Royals could pull it off, Pat.
3: I thought so, too. You know, you mentioned 21 17 at the end of three. And then on the second play of the fourth quarter, uh, Jaron Rosty finds Joey Kidder in the end zone to go up 28 17. And, uh, you know, that's a big trip to go down there to Texas. Uh, that's uh, by far and away the best stadium in NCAA Division III football down there in uh, Belton, Texas. And uh, they had those Mary Harden Baylor fans kind of sitting on their hands. Things had been pretty quiet. Bethel had taken that lead. But then the very next play, after the kickoff, uh, Kyle King throws this, uh, this kind of medium-range pass to K.J. Miller, their star wide receiver, And he kind of just basically, you know, picks and weaves his way, this little 5'7", 170-pound guy, you know, kind of your prototypical kickoff returner, punt returner. He's been fantastic in that role for them for years, but also an amazing wide receiver. And he just kind of picked his way through for a 65-yard touchdown catch and run. And then Bethel goes three and out. Mary Harden-Baylor comes down and scores again to make it uh, 31-28 um, they, uh, you know, it, they make it thirty-one twenty-eight. Mary Hardin Baylor with a two-point conversion, and it was kind of all she wrote from there. Uh, Bethel just never quite got uh, got anything going once again on offense, and that's kind of how it ended out. Uh, Mary Hardin Baylor wins that one going away forty-one twenty-eight.
1: Yeah, and uh, Jaron Ross, T, outstanding Bethel quarterback. Uh, what a, what a player! We'll will go down and MIEC lore is one of the all-time greats.
3: Yeah, so our team is going to sit down at D three football dot com here over the next week and a half and evaluate what we look at for uh, All American the quarterback. You know there are two hundred almost two hundred and fifty schools playing Division three football, so that's two hundred and fifty starting quarterbacks, and we have to whittle those guys down to four. But I do know that Jaron Rossi will be on the short list as we talk about that. Just an amazing player, amazing season this year, and really an amazing career for him.
1: Yeah, and. uh once again, their run ends in the quarterfinals. But it is uh, number one North is Central of Illinois, a blowout win over Ithaca. Mount Union wins, beating Delaware Valley 22-6. to And Wardburg beats Aurora 45-17. Now we're to the final four of the semifinals coming up. Uh, Wartburg, do they have a shot?
3: Yeah, Wartburg's got to go to Mount Union, so that's a tough matchup for them. Uh, you know, Wartburg, this is the first time anyone from that conference, formerly the Iowa Conference, now the American Rivers Conference, first time anyone from that league has been to the semifinal since 1997. But, you know, the question coming out of last week that uh, went up at St. John's was how healthy that quarterback was going to be, whether Niall McLaughlin was going to be able to come out and play. And he looked pretty good on Saturday. He played, you know, the whole game until it got out of hand. Um, you know, maybe limping a little bit, uh, you know, away from play or on the sidelines, that sort of thing. You know, with him healthy, they've certainly got a shot. That running back, Hunter Clawson, is fantastic. That defense, especially up front, has been really good. Parker Rochford, uh, a key kind of outside linebacker D-back for the Knights, picked off two more passes today, returned one of them for a touchdown. He had an interception against St. John's last week. And, you know, was the guy who stripped the ball from the punter and ran it in for a key special teams touchdown. So you know, I think Wartburg's got a shot, but they are kind of the outlier. They're the number 12 team in the country coming into the playoffs. And the other three semifinalists are ranked number one, number two, and number three, because that's kind of how Division three football goes. Those teams at the top tend to stay at the top.
1: North Central Illinois, a, a thought about that. They they have emerged in recent years as the power. They're they're number one. Um, what what's that all about? What's happened there? Because it was so much about Mount Union, and then Whitewater jumped into the fray, and then uh, Mary Harden Baylor has been in the mix. Certainly St Thomas was in that conversation before they made the move to FCS. Uh, St John's for for decades now is. Been in the mix out of the Upper Midwest and the MIC. We we talked about Bethel earlier, but North Central's kind of come out of nowhere to 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 be maybe the team to beat.
3: They may well be the team to beat, right? And they won the twenty nineteen national championship, yeah. and they played in the Stag Bowl last year with a freshman quarterback. And you know, Mary Hart and Baylor kind of took it to them. It was it was really not a game um, at, at any point, you know, in the last three or two and a half quarters or so. But I think what they've done in North Central is one thing is they've done a successful job right now of transitioning to a second star quarterback. That is really difficult to do in Division III. Like, you might have a team that has a two- or three-year run with one amazing stud. Like, who's going to replace Jaron Roste, right? The the next guy at Bethel is super important. They kind of have their next guy at North Central, this guy, Luke Layden, who is uh, not only the starting quarterback for them as a sophomore, but also plays outfield for their baseball team. is a, a tremendous baseball player for the Cardinals as well. You know, he's a guy who runs the ball really well and is is pretty decent throwing the ball. But they love to run the ball there. Ethan Greenfield is their star running back right now, and they're very good defensively. This is the third coach now that North Central has had during this run. John Thorne uh, was the head coach for the first several years as they started building that program. And then Jeff Thorne, his son, took over uh, as the head coach and helped them, you know, get to the quarterfinals, the semis, and then the stag bowl those two years in a row or two seasons in a row. And now, you know, Jeff Thorne went to go join coach Lester's squad up at Western Michigan, who knows what will happen with Jeff Thorne next year. But, you know, his protege took that over as well. So, you know, they turn over coaches, they turned over the quarterback a little bit. Uh, They have a star running back and star defensive, uh, defensive front. And I shouldn't not mention D'Angelo Hardy, who is a stud wide receiver for them, who, Took over after they graduated a, a, a big wide receiver, big playmaker. So I think you know that's what's difficult at Division three. I mean, I should say it's really difficult to contend, but then it's difficult to contend again after that great class leaves. And that's right now what North Central is doing.
1: Well, Pat, always good to visit with you. We're down to the final four. Bethel falls today on the road at Mary Harden Baylor, forty-one to twenty-eight. And uh, once again, D three football dot com. Uh, the center of the D3 football universe, uh, in my opinion. Pat, take care.
3: I appreciate it, Steve. Thank you.
1: All right, Pat Coleman once again uh, joining us. And uh, our guest joining us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. Wild, they win a matinee over the Ducks in St. Paul. 5-4 goes all the way to a shootout. They're right-back had another uh, matinee down in Big D against the Stars. Tomorrow afternoon, Timberwolves on the radio tonight. They get the Oklahoma City Thunder. Our coverage begins at 5.30, or 6.30, excuse me, with the tip just after 7 o'clock. Alan Horton with all the play-by-play here on the home of the Timberwolves. News talk, E3O-WCCO. A perfect day to fire up the hot stove. And talk a little MLB. Dan Hayes covers the Twins for the Athletic. Uh, Dan, good to visit with you. I hope all is well.
4: Yeah, hey, thanks for having me on, Steve.
1: Yeah, uh, Dan uh, joining us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker hotline. Uh, before we get into uh, the to-do list for the Twins this off season, and uh, there is a, a fair number of to-dos, I, I want to get your thoughts on the Texas Rangers of all teams jumping in and signing Jacob Degrom. To a five-year, one hundred eighty-five million-dollar contract, that is astonishing that that they would step up at this point to to sign a marquee starting pitcher for that dollar amount.
3: Well,
4: last year they spent five hundred million dollars on on Corey Seager and and Marcus Semyon. and yeah. and clearly, you know, it's a huge market, and and they know that they have the money. They have a lot of young guys. They've been rebuilding for a couple of years. Um, they're desperate for pitching and, and Jacob DeGrom, I think that contract signifies that because Jacob DeGrom's 34 and he, he's an outstanding pitcher when he's healthy. Uh, but he's had a, a series of injuries and health issues. And, and so they are really, I mean, to be paying him until he's 39 and, and there's a sixth year that could fall in. Um, there's an option for a sixth season. I mean, to be paying him that late, you know, it, it's pretty risky. So, it it clearly shows you how much they know they need pitching and um it, it's definitely a desperation move but i mean you know you're you're paying to get one of the best in the game and and so you can't blame them for that it's just you know the money the amount it doesn't surprise me at all i think it comes out to about 37 million a year somewhere around that that doesn't shock me that's just where salaries are headed and you know, we're talking about a guy that's won Cy Youngs and the Rookie of the Year and pitched in the postseason. So he's got the resume. Uh, it's just the health is is tricky, and and so paying for him at 34, you know, it just it shows you where uh, how thin the uh, pitching ranks are when it comes to the top guys like that.
1: I'll circle back around to the Twins for all those fans that are saying the, the, the Twins need a legitimate ace or a frontline starter. Well, that is the price of poker. And the question is, are the twins willing to make that type of commitment for a frontline starter of of Degrom's caliber? And the conventional wisdom is generally they're not going to commit those kind of dollars to to a starter like that.
4: Yeah, I, I don't think that that is reality for them when it comes to starting pitching. I, I think you can get that kind of pitcher if you go out and make a trade. Um, they didn't have the uh, the trade capital to get um, the top guys last year. They, uh, Tyler Malley's is a really good pitcher, but uh, they didn't have the top the the capital to go out and get you know the number one types at the trade deadline. Uh, I don't see them spending the money on a pitcher that can only affect you know that that kind of money uh, on a pitcher that can only impact the field once every five days. I, I think if they're going to spend that kind of money for someone, it's going to be a player that can be out there six, seven times a week and and can give you everyday production. Um, I don't think that they will hesitate to spend that on that kind of player if they deem that that kind of player is available, but I don't see it so much for the pitching side.
1: And the, the, the name that keeps circulating is uh, the Twins starting shortstop in 2022, and that was Carlos Correa. And can ultimately the Twins and Correa's people get together on a contract the thought is it's still in play but we have no idea ultimately what what Correa is looking for my sense would be it would be you know seven years and well north of 200 million dollars guaranteed
4: uh yeah I I would think you should add another year or two onto that actually Uh, Ken Rosenthal my my teammate Ken Rosenthal today reported that Aaron Judge is looking for nine years right now and then you know he's 31 this season so and there's a chance he's gonna get that Correa is three years younger so I would suspect Correa is looking for anywhere from eight to ten years um, and I would think it's going to be something like the Seager contract Seager got 10 years and 325 million last year um, I'll say this Carlos Correa is one of those few guys that that can be worth it because the player on the field is outstanding and then when you throw in what he brings um that's one of the few players that you know i've covered in 16 seasons that has the ability to lead the entire clubhouse and the twins would be entrusting their their franchise to someone who um you know is going to take it and run with it and and responsibly so i i I think that's a, a player that you can feel good about that kind of investment in. Um, It's a lofty one, but they know what they had last year, and that's why they're trying to be players for them, but they're really... uh, They might not know it, maybe they do know it, but they are really rooting for the Giants to, to end up with Aaron Judge because I think if the Giants come up short on Aaron Judge, Carlos Correa is a really good consolation prize. Giants have a lot of money. That's the kind of team the Twins don't want to run into when it comes to Carlos Correa. They want to no, I think the Twins are going to put up a very competitive offer. Um, I just don't think that they have the ability to miss the way that other teams do. And, and you know, the Giants could probably add an extra couple million per year on top of their, their offer and know that they can absorb it because they're a big market contract or a big market team that has a little bit more flexibility. Look, the Twins can afford to pay a contract like that what the problem is is that their budget obviously is tighter so fitting it in within the budget is tricky and and so um, the Giants can miss the Giants were able to give Carlos Rodon last year two years and 44 million dollars with an opt-out that's not something that a team like the Twins could do they're probably more like in the 1 and 18 million range and the Giants laugh at that kind of money and and know that they have it to back it because they sell 35 to 40,000 tickets a game, um, every game.
1: Dan, what about uh, the shortstop market that that could be playing into the twins favor because it is a deep free agent shortstop market.
4: Yeah. You know, I think a lot of teams are hoping to, if they miss on Correa that Xander Bogarts is there, um, Xander Bogarts would be a great fallback option for the twins and he'd probably be a six or seven year deal. He's a little bit older. Um, I don't know that he would stay at shortstop the whole time throughout the deal. I don't think Correa would stay at shortstop for more than five years throughout the deal. I think both of them would, would eventually switch to other positions. Maybe Correa could go fifth, sixth, seventh year, but you know, eventually move to third base or second base, something along that line. Um, Xander Bogarts would be a very good option. He can, he's a a really good hitter. He can anchor the middle of the lineup. And I think that's something the Twins have to look at. He's a 300 plus average guy with, with good power and, and can drive in runs. I, you know, if, if that's where they ended up, the Twins would be in really good shape. Um, you know, and they wouldn't have to pay as many years and as many dollars as they would with Carlos Correa. But there's a lot of teams out there looking and interested in these players. And obviously Trey Turner and Gansby Swanson are, are really good options too um it, like you said it's a deep class and and you know uh the the problem is is when you got teams swimming that are that are uh flush with cash like the Philadelphia Phillies and who knows what the Dodgers will do uh the Cubs so there's a lot of uh big market teams looking for these guys
1: All right, uh, Dan, only a couple of minutes left before we run out of time, but certainly do appreciate your time. Dan Hayes from The Athletic joining us. Twins move on from Gio Urshela, uh, and there's a lot of talk right now about uh, the future of Max Kepler in a Twins uniform. Uh, Maybe you can give us a quick update on where things stand with Kepler and what the makeup of the outfield could look like.
4: Yeah, it wouldn't shock me if the Twins were really considering deals for Max Kepler. Uh, look, he's an elite defender. Um, He's got great home run power. He he just never quite has gotten over the hump as a hitter. We've seen the struggles up close and we know of the potential that's there. Uh, He's still got a really good contract. And I think teams that are looking for an elite defender may come calling and it it would give the chance, the twins a chance to get more right-handed in the outfield. And I think that's something that they really would like to do. You look around at what they've got, Kirilov, Larnick, left-handed, left-handed, Kepler's left-handed, Matt Walner's left-handed. You, you want to get some right-handed bop in that lineup. And it wouldn't shock me if they looked to move from Kepler. I don't know what they'd be looking for in return, but I think the fact that that would free them up of some more money, uh, it would make a lot of sense to see them maybe pursue Mitch Haniger, Seattle's free agent outfielder, on a three-year deal after that, and, and get another guy that can drive, drive in some runs and, and hit for power and, and
1: possibly play right field. All right, well, heating up the hot stove with Dan Hayes, covers the Twins for the Athletic. Hey, Dan, good to visit with you. We really do appreciate your time, and hopefully we can do it again soon. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, thanks for having me on. All right, there he is, Dan Hayes, once again from the Athletic, and joining us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. Twins have starting pitching. It looks as though they have the makeup of what could be a reliable the starting rotation certainly shoring up the bullpen and then ultimately the everyday lineup and i'll go back to one thing that i've said for years about the twins as we get ready to start a new year and begin the countdown to spring training how healthy will byron buxton be in 2023 is a huge part of this equation for the Minnesota Twins because they do have Luis Arise, uh, will, will they get a deal done for a shortstop? you got to like Jorge Polanco. You have to like some of the other things. Jose Miranda uh, showed he belonged in the big leagues, but uh, the, there certainly are question marks, and maybe the biggest is the health of Byron Buxton moving forward. Quick break, we'll come back. Timberwolves on the radio tonight. They take on the Thunder minus Cat. Cal Soderquist will join us from the Timberwolves radio network with a tease of our pregame, and we'll look forward to the game tonight here on News Talk. 830-WCCO. Timberwolves and Thunder tonight from downtown Minneapolis. Pregame 630, tip after 7 o'clock. Cal Soderquist joining us here. And uh, Cal, pregame, postgame host on the Timberwolves Radio Network. Cal, I
5: hope you're doing well. Yeah, certainly am. Same to you, Steve.
1: Yeah, uh, no cat. Uh, that That is the headline. Win or lose right now, Carl Anthony Towns uh, coming back from that calf strain. Do we have any news uh, on Carl Anthony Towns other than uh, there's really no timetable for his return?
5: Yeah, I think that that's basically it. You know, the team called it an indefinite period of time in, in terms of how long he'll be sidelined, and I think it's it's one of those deals we see teams do it more often these days, where there isn't a the team doesn't report the timeline themselves just because you don't know maybe how an injury will respond halfway through uh, the, the suspected timetable, and then you start to rehab it and work it back into shape. But I think regardless of you know, I had seen four to six weeks reported. Um, if it's if it's anywhere around there, I, I still think it was the best case scenario, just in the sense, you know, for fans who, who saw the injury or saw the replays and saw how he uh, basically collapsed and, you know, knowing it was a non-contact and everything else, um, we all kind of feared the worst. So I, I think even if it is, you know, the next month or or more, um, I, I still think it's, it's better than what the alternative and, and maybe the worst case scenario could have been.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, at first I was concerned. You know, it's a knee. You know, non-contact. You you think knee or um, Achilles? It, it could have been a lot of things. So the Timberwolves move on without Cat. I, I brought this up when I was sitting in for Henry Lake uh, the the other night, and I think on on Timberwolves tonight, and that was the night Cat got hurt. And I said there is still talent on this team for them to grind out victories and stay in the mix until Carl Anthony Towns returns. They, they still have Anthony Edwards. They still have D'Angelo Russell and Rudy Gobert and company. They can win games, and it can start tonight against the Thunder.
5: Yeah, and I think, you know, even just it's a one-game sample size, but you saw some of the early yep. results uh, be pretty positive in that win over the Grizzlies on Wednesday. For sure. We saw Anthony Edwards basically, you know, he took over that game in the fourth quarter. I think he had 17 of his 29 points in, in that fourth frame, but also had the, I think, five steals, three blocks. You know, he was all over the place on, on both ends of the floor. And you would think maybe now certainly this team is a better team with Carl Anthony Towns on the floor. Let's not Let's not fool anyone or think that we've got any hot takes in that sense. But you would think that, Maybe, you know, in the sense that Rudy Gobert can kind of default or revert to what he's been used to his whole career in being the only seven-footer on the floor, especially defensively, he might be more comfortable in the short term. Um, Maybe there's a little more of an established hierarchy offensively where, you know, at times this year when when everyone's out there and healthy, the Wolves have struggled to maybe share the basketball enough or, or move it frequently enough. You know, head coach Chris Finch has talked about the ball's sticking a little bit, and maybe, you know, guys can kind of just settle into some of these temporary roles. Um, you might get guys like Kyle Anderson and Jaden McDaniels. Uh, they might get, uh, you know, more minutes with, with Jaden back, but mainly Kyle, I guess. he's He's an unselfish player who will want to move the ball a lot, and you might see some of those things come to fruition more. It's, it's one of the things the Wolves were struggling with is, you know, you've got so much talent in those starting lineups and some of those lineup combinations that they had to feel it out. And I think at least in the short term, you know, defenses will start to see what the Wolves do well over these next handful of games. And then the Wolves will have to make adjustments and, and counter moves, et cetera. But we might see some of these guys look pretty comfortable with these, these new temporary roles.
1: All right, Cal, we've only got about a minute or so before we've got to hit the news at 6. You take over with the pregame at 6.30. Alan Horton with all the play-by-play tonight. Timberwolves and Thunder from downtown Minneapolis. Number one, any other news on the injury report real quick?
5: Uh, it sounds like good news for both of the J-Max. Jaden McDaniels and Jordan McLaughlin should be good to go, so they'll provide uh, pretty big jolts both for that that starting lineup and then we know what jordan mclaughlin does for the reserves as that backup point guard all right and what's coming up on the pregame show tonight well we'll hear from rookie wendell moore jr uh he got the start on wednesday with with cat out and with jaden out and he played really well even guarded john morant for stretches so we'll alan will check in with him and we'll also look back at last night's uh, holiday shopping events you know fans probably know this by now but the wolves do it every year and uh, local area youth, they, they get an opportunity to hang with the players. It's its an awesome event all around, so we'll we will hear from some wolves on that.
1: Yeah, and Venita uh, from the Morning News had some tweets from that event. It was really cool. So we invite you to check that out. Cal with the pregame and the postgame tonight. Alan Horton with all the play-by-play here in the home of the Timberwolves. Hey, Cal, always good to visit with you.
5: You got it. Thanks, Steve. Take care. All right,
1: Cal Soderquist. And the Timberwolves radio network, uh, they will take over at 6.30 tonight here on the home of the Timberwolves. News Talk, e 3 CCO. D2 Volleyball Championship from Seattle. Concordia St. Paul playing in set number two, up one set to none. Concordia St. Paul looking for the D2 title tonight in Seattle. We'll keep an eye on that here on CCO.